Hello. Welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Deller-Coltman. I'm joined by Braden Deller-Coltman and Elliot Tanti. And yes, uh, this will be a slightly downbeat and probably very short episode. It is May 14th, moments following uh, the Edmonton Oilers' elimination from the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that is where we will start. Here it is, topic one. Uh, just quickly before we get to topic one, I want to thank both of you guys. I was away last weekend and I thought you held the fort very well. Lots you had conversations about that I would probably not have enjoyed baseball and basketball. So I appreciate that you uh, made sure our listeners got some fresh perspectives and some different opinions on some things. We will talk uh, basketball in topic two, but let's start where we have to start. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers unable to get back to the Western Conference final for the second year in a row, falling in six games to the Vegas Golden Knights. And obviously there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of disappointment. Um, but I want to start with a positive, which is that when you look at the team we saw in this year's playoffs, uh, in many ways, a lot of players had taken big steps forward. We saw some really great performances from a rookie goaltender throughout the playoffs that is important to the development long-term for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, a, a guy who really established himself over the course of the season. He is a finalist for the Calder. I think he has a very legitimate chance to win it. Um, and a guy who just sort of showed the development that the Oilers have put into that position is working. And you have a young guy who took literally took over from who had signed a guy who had signed a contract to be set up to be your, your franchise goaltender. So big positive there, big steps for some younger players, Bouchard, especially great playoffs for him. Obviously Leon was phenomenal, but the Edmonton Oilers were unable to match the firepower of the Vegas golden Knights five on five. And in the end, that's the series. So the question, I guess, to both of you is um, what went wrong and moving forward, how do, what do the Oilers need to do to fix it for next year? Let's start with you, Elliot. What did you see? Uh, certainly not your perspective on Stuart Skinner, particularly in the second series. Uh, he was pulled three times in six games. So uh, that, I think, was a little bit concerning to me. I think just the playoffs caught up with the rookie goaltender. Uh, and what we saw in the game tonight was a microcosm for the series, which was the Vegas goalie made it a save when it needed to be made. And that didn't happen on the Edmonton side throughout this series. Um, I am, you know, I think if we had started the season this year and you had told me Edmonton was going to go out in game six of round two, I would have been disappointed, but that would have been like the bare minimum of success I would have allowed for so I, I think that they they met sort of the criteria particularly against you know what will like who will likely be well the, the, their their division uh won the division and who will likely um represent uh, you know this conference in the finals in the stanley cup um so all of those things you know are, are kind of swimming around in my head uh what happened I think it was a tale of two series. I think the Ve the uh, King series was prolonged because of an undisciplined nature of the Edmonton Oilers. And in the second series, um, this was lost because their inability to come out and start second periods. Um, and that was the difference maker uh, for me. And that's what I'm thinking about uh, after what's been a pretty grueling four weeks of playoff hockey. Braden? Let me start by saying hockey is a terrible sport. No one should ever watch it. 
But I agree with Elliot in the sense that this was the bare minimum in which we expect here with a team like this. Um, the, I mean, no matter what betting odds were out there, the Oilers had expectations to go as far as the Stanley Cup this year. So it's it's certainly disappointing. As for Skinner, though, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of on both sides here. I think that he absolutely deserved the start in all of the games except for game what four i think that first game he was out i think they had an opportunity to start campbell without um the risk of an elimination game i I do think skinner has proved himself to be the starter in in edmonton and the the difficult nature of the whole thing is that he is still a rookie and so you know we the same kind of expectations i'm not comparing him to vinnie dynarnay Dynarnay, but those kinds of things happen when you've got somebody in um, a position without the kind of experience that it takes to, to, you know, but the the fact that they're letting in four goals a game, it's not going to help. Like it just, I I know we can score goals, but we cannot just keep chasing the game. I would say, I think there are three major factors that impacted the way this series went. Let's leave uh, the LA series alone because that we've, we've and they won. So it doesn't matter. But in this series, three things, Number one, they weren't able to find a way to f- consistently score five on five. And the struggle that they faced there was that unlike LA, who played a very disciplined, structured defensive sort of trap, uh, Vegas is an attack first team like the Oilers. And they got out attacked five on five. The Oilers couldn't generate zone time. They couldn't generate cycle. Most of their five on five goals came off the rush. And when you're playing a team that can easily intercept a puck or make, create a turnover and then go back and hurt you the other way, Vegas was able to do that. Now, that's something the Oilers, even their top guys, were vulnerable from that. So it's not something you could just say you could fix with some personnel changes. That's a structural uh, strategy thing that has to be looked at and changed. You've got to be able to play both types of teams in the playoffs because you're going to come up against defense-heavy teams and you're going to come up against offense-heavy teams. The second thing I think is it's easy to pile on and say, yeah, maybe we should have started Campbell in game six. Maybe we should have started him earlier because the small sample size we got of him was pretty good. But in all of the situations we saw him, he was playing cleanup. So all he had to do is make the next save, right? And he, and and he did. And he did. But in none of those games when he came in late, was he the goaltender that faced the most shots. The Oilers always outplayed their opponent once they'd pulled the goalie. So some of the toughest toughest shots. Fine. I would also say though, go back and look at some of the goals Skinner's letting in. And a lot of them are circumstantial, bad situations. He makes a great save off the blocker and gets bad puck luck on the third goal tonight. He has another one of those shots tonight. He never saw coming through one of his defenseman's legs. And the third and the and the and the one the first goal of the game again is just a weird bounce off the stanchion and off of a player's leg from out in the corner. That's like a playoff goal we've seen all the time, and it's a bad luck goal. And the Oilers responded immediately, and that's good. I think that for the ma- majority of the playoffs, Skinner number one made the next save when needed to, and did a lot of hard things to make sure the Oilers were in most games. Yes, he got blown out a couple times in this series their team also couldn't put any run support there to help him. Right. And that's the big difference for, for Aiden Hill is he always had run support. He looked good, but he always had run support. The third thing is I think that the Oilers are still 
demonstrating that they are a defenseman away from truly being a competitive playoff team. Philip Broberg and DeHarnay are not there right now. They're not ready and they're not, it doesn't work. This 11 and seven is fine, but it, there was still always a place that could be exposed. And interestingly, I think they actually did a better job hiding DeHarnay in this series. They got their top guys were actually out there for a lot more goals against because again, the way Vegas plays, remember most of the goals Vegas scored were their top line. Like tonight, all of their goals were their top line. Like that is, I mean, other than the empty net or whatever, the point is there, those, those three March so goals in game six are all against Ekholm and Bouchard because that's the pairing you want against them. Oh, well, one of them is against nurse uh, on the turnover. But the point is, they need that extra guy. I and mean, they need a, a veteran NHL player. And I don't mean they need a blue chipper. They just need a guy like another Brett Kulak or another Cody CC to be in that third pair um, yeah. or fourth piece or whatever. Cause it just isn't enough right now. Yeah. So that is the biggest thing that, that was exposed. I would say. I'm agree with you. I think that's what we've seen throughout the entire playoffs, but particularly in this series was that where, and we all knew it, the only place where there's a lack of depth or where there was some concern uh, if you had trust in Skinner, which I think we all did, was going to be on defense. And Ekholm has, so, you know, it goes to show you how bad this could have been if they hadn't replaced Barry with Ekholm, right? Because Ekholm yeah. did make the defensive core better in that front. I do agree with you, and I'm with you on that. Um, you know, I, I think what we did see, though, was a maturing of a bunch of defensive players as well, too. I think Bouchard sure. did better as the playoffs Huge. got He's an NHL on. defenseman now. Good. Yeah. Uh, Kulak and CeCe did what they needed to do. Yes, for sure. You know, what you can't, I, I think it's very difficult to win a Stanley Cup. I think it's very difficult to be a successful NHL team with two rookie defensemen, right? Like, I, I, just, I think we just know that. So, three, you're, yeah. I, you know, that was at the end of the day, that's the solace that we take from it. I think, you know, if I want to turn it back to you guys on this, like, the, you know, we're all going to take a breath and there'll be a moment, but I think the next question is, and what people will say is, is this a yet another wasted year of dry saddle McDavid? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the whole idea of like every year they don't win is sure. But the, the notion that it is another feather in the cap, another, another lesson learned to further deepen their opportunities, I think is, is, is true and i hope that that's what they take from this you know this experience and not that, that you know if they if if they got further they would have had the best chance because you know boston's out toronto's out new york's out it doesn't work that way they didn't win frankly they just didn't so they i mean i, I don't know I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't consider it that way i hope others don't consider it it's just hard not to think what if when you've got two of I would guys. say this. I would say that if you go back three years and look at where the Colorado Avalanche were being eliminated in the second round the year after going to the conference final, the next year they were ready. And I think the Edmonton Oilers are right there. Their they, time will come. they are losing games because of bad bounces, because of bad ice, because of bad situations, missed calls, all kinds of the things you lose playoff games. They're not losing games for lack of straight up effort. Talent. And, and that's the other thing you want to, we'll talk about Toronto in, in, later, I guess. I don't know if we need to, but the point is go talk to a Toronto fan right now about what they think went wrong. And it was effort. It was lack of determination and will to win. And the Edmonton Oilers never quit. The Edmonton Oilers kept pushing. They had the better third period here in game six. They yeah, just literally were one bounce away. Consistently sure. the second period. And again, battle. and again, you were like, basically two lines. 
in this hockey game. They ended up having to play two lines. And there's pieces there that are now expendable and will be expended and to make this team a little bit better. But as far as saying, is it a wasted year? Yeah, of course it is. Every year you don't win with the best players in the league. It's a way, it's a missed opportunity more yep. than it's a wasted year. Yep. But at the same time, there's 32 teams. There's what, 680 players in the league, right? 21 of them are going to win the Stanley Cup. The Vegas is good. Is, Vegas is a good they team. They won the division. <laughs> they won the division for a reason. It's What's frustrating is that you have all of these... This is the best Oilers team we've seen in 30 years, not even close. And they were right there ready to do it. And they needed one more win to make it work earlier in this series. They would have been there, right? If they had won game three, if they'd won or one game uh, uh, three, yeah, three, or if they'd won game five, it would have been a whole different ball game for them. I believe they would have been winning the series. They were just not able to get those bounces. And that's, what's frustrating. And again, you can blame like, okay, so here's the, here's the thing. We have the Toronto Maple Leafs squad. You have the Oilers squad. And then all of a sudden you're going to have conspiracy theories. Oh, well, the NHL doesn't want a Canadian team to win. Oh, look at the refereeing is rigged. The, the refs didn't make the call on Ekholm or they didn't make the call on whatever. And you're right. They didn't make that call. It's an egregious missed call. He's bleeding from the cheek. But the point is at the end of the day, that every single team in the playoffs leaves almost every single game angry that something wasn't called. Every single team that is eliminated believes the referees played a major factor in that. Toronto scored a goal. (laughs) Exactly. But the point is, at the end of the day, there is no, as far as I'm concerned, there is no evidence to suggest that there is a mass league-wide conspiracy to prevent Canadian teams from winning. The amount of sedition that would be necessary for that level of like referees to literally be either paid off or just being told that they can't like it's ridiculous that you can get angry about everything you want to get angry about and i understand there's a lot of frustration there's a lot of anger a lot of people want to call it a wasted year or they want to say all those things and those are fine those are emotions you got to move through but at the end of the day the edmonton oilers just didn't win enough hockey games they, they just literally didn't win two more hockey games. Yeah. And the first team to win back-to-back in this series won, won it. Yeah. And that's I think that's fair. And that's a good take. Okay. I've got one more question for you guys. And then we can close it out. I don't think the other topics are going to be as long. So, uh, Bukestad, Shore, Yanmark, and Ryan, all unrestricted free agents last year. Do any of them get a contract coming back? The only one who should get a contract is Bukestad. Yeah, and I would argue Derek Ryan just for the sake of a, a one-year vet. You could get him he, on a he, he pushed he pushed that line every time he was out there. Yanmark would be another guy I would seriously consider bringing back on a on a deal if it made sense for the team. But Bukestad for sure is the guy okay. that so, that is a hundred percent. You want that size on that depth making the faceoffs. That he I agree, Brayden. I agree with you. So I'll ask you guys one more in the same vein. I'll give you three names. Which one of them is not an Oiler next year? Yamamoto, Broberg, or Jack Campbell? If I have to pick one? One guy has to be dealt this year to make uh, a move for a a better player. Yamamoto, Campbell, what was the third one? Broberg. You're thinking, Elliot, so I'll go because I think it's pretty clear for me that I think Yamamoto. Yamo goes. He's on a one year. He, Did he do enough in the playoffs to create enough value to be of something? Uh, yeah, I think he's valuable. I think his. I think his. I think he's valuable. I think he's too expensive for what they're looking to have right now with that player. 
and that I think there's other options like you guys have talked about with defensemen that that could that could be shored up with. I think it's Yamo. You know, I think the homer pick is Yamo. Like, I think that's the best case scenario for the Edmonton Oilers. I think to get what this team's going to need to get on the back end, someone like Broberg is going to be the person that you're going to you're likely to have to give up. Um, so that's I, I I think you're probably like the the right choice would be Yamamoto, but I could see Broberg being shipped out to win if we're in win now. Truly, we don't have a first this year. We shipped it up to Nashville. So yeah, for a assets, player that you for a player you now have for two no, years, no, hundred percent. I would make that deal every day of every yeah. day, <laughs> anytime, yeah. any day. But my point is, that your assets are now more uh, situated around your younger prospects at this point. Well, or your, your RFA is right. Here's the other challenge related to contract talk. We'll get more into this into the summer, I'm sure. Too Bouchard is RFA this year, so needs a new contract for next year. Uh, Costin and McLeod are also new contracts heading into next year too. So the making the money work is going to be tricky. McLeod could go to you guys. I could see Costin coming back though. And I could see, I could see them making a bridge deal for Bouchard, something that they did with nurse the first year he was up for contract. All right. Uh, lots obviously, as, as you say, to discuss down the road, we'll leave it there for now. That's topic one. Creativity has the power to take our breath away to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q-Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. We're also okay. sad. Oh, also yeah. sad. That's so right. sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's jump to the hard court here. You guys talked basketball last week. I believe you made some picks, but they are all just straight down the tube. It was uh, horrific. horrific picks. Yeah, well, so I think actually good. only I made picks. I don't think Elliot made any picks. Okay, well, let's <laughs> he just wrote the, them down. Braden, I'm going to give you a reprieve. Oh, I will thank wipe, you. I will wipe Oof. the whiteboard clean. We'll start fresh because now we actually know who's going to be in each conference final. So the Celtics pull it out here. Uh, again tonight against the 76ers and uh, for a little while there it looked like the Celtics were kind of on the ropes but they they do manage to pull it out they win um, uh, they win uh, and, and they will be moving on uh, to the next round uh, Lakers Nuggets and then we'll have Celtics and uh, Brayden remind me who they're playing over there 
Miami. The Heat, right? Yeah, the Heat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got the Heat and the Celtics, and we've got the Lakers and the Nuggets. Lots of Canadian content, especially from the Nuggets side of it. But Braden, uh, you are a resident basketball expert. Uh, talk to me about, is this Jokic's year? He's back-to-back MVPs for or two years ago and the year before, and then obviously he's become one of those marquee regular season players who just has had a team that's been plagued by injuries and hasn't been able to put it together. Here they are in the finals against LeBron and the Lakers on their kind of last ride. Uh, it feels last like, I mean, LeBron will play he's 70 years old, but it feels <laughs> like, well, it just feels like this version of the Lakers, like it's, I don't know how many more times he's got it left before those knees just finally buckle, but maybe I'm wrong. The guy says, this is one of the most fit athletic goats of athletes. He is probably the greatest athlete. He and Brady in terms of, I'm talking physical specimens. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's a, he's a monster. So monster. Um, So we've got LeBron and the Lakers versus Jokic and the Nuggets. Yeah. Set it up for me. What 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 should we expect from that series? Well, I love how you said like a, a lot of Canadian content. Well, I, think I mean, they one only guy. have one guy, but <laughs> but he's a very prominent Canadian basketball he is. player, and, and he's he was hurt previously, right? He's yeah. healthy, which is the big thing. And of course, we're talking to Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray, and two-time reigning MVP and Jokic. The, it seems really good. Uh, I was telling Elliot last week I had the Nuggets to win it all. Uh, I went against them last week, and that was a complete complete shock to me um i was really looking forward to seeing kd and lebron face to face but um now you're gonna see lebron go at it i think if the lakers can make this series interesting if this is gonna be like if they can if the lakers make the finals this is one of the best stories in sports probably ever this was a team that was by and large out of the playoff picture around Christmas. Like they were the last seed. They barely made it into the play-in. They won in overtime, knocked out the incredible Memphis Grizzlies uh, in the first round, and then just had a juggernaut of a series against the dynasty Golden State Warriors. This team's got a lot, a lot of oomph still left in them. I think if Anthony Davis can match up and slow down Jokic, then the Lakers have a shot. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun series. I do. I do. However, think the Nuggets end up winning this series. All right, Elliot, you want to take a, a flyer on who, who, who you think will come out of the West? Yeah, I'll just go the opposite. I mean, you can't bet against LeBron James. I don't care how old he is. So I love the Lakers. I love LeBron James. He was my hats off a couple of weeks ago. Um, I love what he's doing, and I think the story is incredible. So I, I'm happy to cheer for him and take that side of that 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 uh, series. No problem. Okay, I'll go with the uh, uh, Nuggets in seven. <laughs> I don't know. Seven. I know nothing crazy. about any of this, but I like the name Jokic. Jokic. Um, yeah. All right, let's Did jump you know to the East. So... Horses. <laughs> like he rides them? Yeah, like chariot, chariot style. Oh, I thought you meant like he was like the world's tallest jockey. I was uh, like, no. <laughs> the horse could probably they ride, ride him. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got a little pony riding on the back of him. Uh, all right, cool. That's great. He's a chariot racer. That's pretty yeah. cool. Like chuck wagon or like no, like a... no, like a small little pod oh. behind a couple horses. Very cool. Yeah, Who knew? Cool. Fascinating. It's, it's got a better name than chariot. Something else. All right. 
Um, let's jump to the East. We now know, as I said, the Celtics pull it out um, and they win uh, to, to beat the 76ers and the perennial loser uh, in James Harden. And now well, they will face Embiid, man. both of them He's are the perennial, perennial losers. Loser. Uh, <laughs> let's go to talk about uh, their series against the heat. Now we have uh, Butler and uh, Kyle Lowry and um, what's the other kid's name? The Embo Yama. What's the kid's name? I'll keep trying. Emola. Em- Emola. No, no uh, Embunyama? <laughs> Adebayo. But oh, close. Adebayo. What Jordan? is the Embunyama? Close. Is that the kid who's going to go number one? Wembenyama. Wembenyama. That's what I'm thinking of that. So the, the, the guy on Miami's name is, is what is his name? Adebayo. Mama Baba? Oh, Adebayo. Jordan. Don't Adebayo. insult anyone here. I'm not trying to. <laughs> Adebayo. Big. Now, who's the other guy? There's another big player on Miami. Hero. Yeah, yeah. He's the hero. Okay. <laughs> So we got Hero and Embum, no, and and like the other guy, and then you got Jim. Jimmy. Why did Butler. that even help you? Jimmy Butler, though, this feels like his moment, does it not? Because this is Jimmy Whoa. Butler has had this Heat team uh, close a couple times, and uh, the Heat, I don't know, like the Celtics. The Celtics feel like they were in the finals either last year or the year before. Am I wrong? They were in the bubble year. They lost the Lakers in the bubble. The Celtics did. Or the Heat did. Oh, I'm sorry. The Heat did. Yeah. The, weren't the, the Celtics, Celtics in the finals were... last year or two years ago? Anyway, the point yeah, being, both were. these teams have gotten very close and not been able to win it. And now they have an opportunity again to do that. Who do you have coming out of the East? Boston. This is high quality content tonight, boys and girls. Boston Celtics. The Miami Heat is a very good team. And I think that they're doing, I mean, the play of Jimmy Butler is insane. But the fact that they do have like a vet who has won it all in Kyle Lowry is definitely helping their cause. Again, we always somehow, some way, Eric Spolstra it makes his way to the finals all the time. All those years with LeBron, he has never won coach of the year. Like he's one of the best tenured coaches. He has been with Miami since 2011, 2012. A long time. A long time. Like he, he's got a great structure. Obviously, Pat Riley's team, uh, he has his own straight history. It's a very good team. Uh, but Boston is a much better team. Jason Tatum is like he, he yeah, uh, he's bound for an MVP year, uh, and he will he will win he will win the NBA Finals this year. On his, I thought back. you just said the Nuggets were going to win it. No, I said the Nuggets will go to the finals. Oh, I thought you said they were going to win it all at the beginning of the year. I, I uh, okay, yeah. so 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 Elliot, make your pick here then for the East. I gotta hedge my bets. You see, <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I just think the Celtics are a more complete team, and Brain's done a good job of explaining why. So, I <laughs> Jason I Tatum, <laughs> just Jason Tatum. Like this has been which NBA player on Hattrick Sports? Uh, yeah. I will take the Celtics. I'm going to take the Heat because I don't know any of their players' names other than Jimmy Butler, and I love that. So the Heat will win it in four, and <laughs> they will go on to the finals against whoever I picked a few minutes ago. I can't even remember. All right, that was topic two. Hey, hold on, hold on. I got to ask you guys both a question. This is some ancillary NBA news. And I'm sure I'm sorry, that we'll... say that word again? <laughs> you can listen back in the podcast ancillary? later. Ancillary? Ancillary. Not related to the finals of the playoffs? Copy. We talked about this earlier in the season. John Morant was suspended. We'll talk 
a bigger t at large about this another time, but I have one specific question. John Morant was suspended earlier in the year for flashing a gun on uh, an Instagram live video. Was suspended a few games, took some time away from the team. He came out saying he was really apologetic. To, uh, he did not mean to do something like this and would learn from that moving forward. Yesterday, another video came out of him waving a gun. How many games does John Morant get suspended next season? How much was the first? Oh, I think it was eight games. Yeah, I don't know. It's too early to tell right now, and I haven't seen it. And like, I, I would, I would just be hesitant to sort of speculate because it was this video after the last one before it that someone had. I, I don't. It was know. a live video yesterday, an Instagram oh, he, live he, video. Yesterday. He was suspended eight games previously, yeah, and it was a six hundred and sixty nine thousand dollar fine. This guy just loves guns. Jordan, how long does he get suspended? Personally, I think the league at that point is going to suspend him. Like, well, because at this point, it would be the beginning of whatever next season is. I think they suspend uh -huh. him indefinitely and have conversations over the summer is exactly yeah. what it is. I think it's yeah. a, it's it's an undefined number at this point. And they would have to then have conversations about, like, it's the same thing when we've had instances of, like, like um, either criminal activity or, like, substance abuse things in the past where, like, a player is just sort of put on, like, the no playlist until they've sorted out what the actual situation is here and i think that there's obviously some other questions that need to be answered as far as why this player is choosing to do this and what the league wants as far as how they they view it and and i think they'll also allow the summer to sort of see how it all kind of plays out because i don't think this this clearly isn't the end of this conversation around no. what's going on with this player and obviously there's some some pieces there to be to I'd be, be giving him. A, I'd be giving him a half a season. Like, well, I think that there would be definitely be an investigation. I think that's the next step. Now there'd be a formal investigation by the league as far as like, has this player been bringing guns to games? Is there a bigger problem here? Are there other issues? Right, and that's where because wasn't there like an arenas problem a few years ago with the Gilbert the, arenas? Back, yeah, that, what, not a few he, years ago, but when he used to play, he had a yeah he he disarmed a fire a firearm in in the. Not this arm, discharged. Sorry, he discharged a firearm in the in the dressing room. That's what I mean. Yeah, but, but this so is again, yeah, like the, the league culture... has. It's not the first time that the league has dealt with it, so I would assume that they have some policy. It just or has some to be severe. To... This is the second time now, same player, and he's a yeah. franchise guy. He's a face it's... of the but... league. He's a yeah. Nike shoe deal guy. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is a larger conversation. Uh, one of my concerns here is too is. Clearly, there's also issues around the people that he's surrounding himself with, both from like a trust standpoint and just in general, too. Like, uh, I don't know. There, th This is a larger conversation. I think it is going to be severe. I, I kind of like where Jordan's going with it. And I think that's the right thing to do. First of all, the NBA doesn't want to distract from its, uh, you know, its conference finals and the finals. Like, just put this on the back burner, say it's indefinite. We'll deal with it later. That's let's focus on the basketball. And then you've got to, I think that's exactly the right call. And if I've learned anything about uh, how the NBA, NBA conducts itself, uh, they are often very good at managing these situations. And so that's what I, I didn't, if it's not that, it's probably a better approach that we haven't thought of. Okay. That is topic two. Okay. Topic three, hats off. We're all, uh, very chipper and happy this evening so uh we thought we'd pick some pick something here to pick us all up a little bit it was obviously as i said earlier sunday may 14th at the time of recording 
It's Mother's Day, boys, so why don't we all take a moment to tip our caps to our mothers and to the mothers in our lives. Elliot, would you like to go first? Yes, I will tip a cap, tip my cap to my mother, Elizabeth Tanty, uh, who uh, had two children, uh, myself and my sister Nina, and uh, she's an outstanding mother and has uh, uh, been the rock and support and uh, taught us all love and compassion and um i would not be the man i am today unless she was part of my life and so uh mom i love you and happy mother's day also want to give a shout out to elizabeth olson uh my grandmother who is 91 years this week the matriarch of the family um someone who has uh taught us all love compassion humor uh, and her and I share a love of sports, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast today, too. So um, uh, love you, Emma, and uh, happy Mother's Day to both uh, my grandmother and my mom. Braden? Right. I will tip my cap to my mother, Tammy Della Coltman. Uh, love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. You are a wonderful woman, and uh, happy Mother's Day. All right, I'll tip my cap to the two other mothers in my life, obviously to my mother as well, who uh, Brayden nope, and I that's my pick. Nope. share. Nope, my pick. <laughs> I will tip my cap to first my mother-in-law, uh, Jacqueline Hole, who is a wonderful woman who has been always there for our family and takes wonderful care of Lowen all the times that she's with him uh, and is always generous and supportive. Uh, and I love her very much. And then I would also like to tip my cat to my wife, who is a wonderful mother as well to young Lowen. We had a wonderful trip to Disneyland last week. We we're able to spend some time together as a family. I know that, uh, Larissa is taking this Oilers loss pretty hard. She's a very <sighs> devout and diehard Oilers fan, um, feels it immensely, but I know that, uh, as she always does, she will eventually move through that frustration and anger and pain and all of the feelings and come out on the other side, still just as truly devoted to the Oilers as she is to pretty much anything else in her life. Uh, her, her, the list of things she loves is uh, pretty lopsided when it comes to her son first, maybe the dog, then the Oilers. I think I'm fourth or fifth. So that's okay. Priorities are priorities. Uh, and I love you, Louise. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thanks to all the mothers out there for listening. Uh, and if your mother doesn't listen to this show, I highly encourage you to share a link to the show with her this week. She will enjoy it. I promise you. Uh, thanks again for listening, as I said. And if you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram. You can also find out more about the show at our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Uh, you can also find out some of our other shows. If you're an F1 fan, the Pit Stop podcast is there for you. They will be in Imola next week. And uh, we will have a, a show following that. Uh, if you watched the Miami Grand Prix last week and you haven't yet checked out last week's episode, Braden is on that episode and he did a very good job co-hosting. So thank you, Braden, for filling in for me there. And uh, until next week, that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... 
Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.